of the assemblies. So he's, he's a big deal in Christianity. Um, and we actually had him speaking at a national gathering, or a, a Chi Alpha gathering uh, at Assault. And just kind of a cool little spotlight, little shout out from Doug Clay uh, on his perspective of Chi Alpha. Just real short, but I thought it'd be a fun way to start our class here this morning. You know, Chi Alpha is not just a program. Chi Alpha is a movement. You can't go anywhere in this world and not see the impact of Chi Alpha. You are a part of a revolution that God is putting together that I believe that in end times is going to kind of bring back the kingdom of God. And uh, thank you. Thanks for being a part of it. But, you know, great ministries don't happen accidentally. It takes great leadership. And over the course of the years, there's been a tradition of excellence in leadership. And I'd love to do something. If you're here tonight and you're a Chi Alpha leader, you're either a state or a local chapter leader, would you just stand to your feet, you and your leadership team right now? Hey, students, can we express appreciation to the leadership of one of the greatest, greatest movements in the world, the movement of Chi Alpha? Yeah. About 65 million church adherents. So kind of a cool thought. You know, he, he was just sharing that last month at a, or well, I guess two months now. It's March 1st. I got to get right what month we're at. But, but uh, it was kind of a cool thing. So you guys are actually a part of something much bigger. Uh, you might catch around the world. that's uh, continuing to grow and develop. Uh, as, as we talked a little bit last week, just the vision of what we can do to see our state, one of the, my dreams is how we can see our state transformed as we begin to just see a generation of young people raised up who understand how to fight for their world, pursue relationship in the kingdom of God in the lives of people in the marketplace, or in the church world, or in missions around the world. And so, just a... Just, Kind of a cool thing that we get to be a part of. There's there's more than just who's in this room, but we are connected to a fellowship of friends around the world doing the same things we're doing right now and seeing the kingdom of God advanced on universities and through universities, the marketplace in the world. But this morning or this evening, sorry, I've, I'm in church mode. I've been I've been doing uh, services the last two days. But this evening we are talking about. In your syllabi, we are talking about the idea of what is small group. So we're asking you to be a small group leader with the with Chi Alpha, or to consider the idea of how we do small group as, as an approach to life and ministry. So what do we mean by that is a really important way to start our whole progression for this class. Now, here's the thing. I want you to think of... All your experience in small groups, whether in churches or in youth ministries or otherwise, I want you to kind of encapsulate in your head what, what that looks like, what that meant, what that was, and then I want you to kind of throw it out the window, okay? Not because those were bad experiences, uh, and in fact, a lot of things probably will overlap, but when we say small group, it is so different so many times from what oftentimes young people's experiences have been with that concept that we actually have to spend a lot of time deconstructing what we mean and reconstructing it for you because of your experience from it. 
I remember I had a, a friend, his name's Derek Britt. He's the Chi Alpha director uh, in Indiana. He's a district director. He's really kind of my counterpart there in Indiana. And we were chatting here about a year ago, and we were just kind of talking, like, what, for you, what was your experience? Because he came from a mega church. He was uh, a lead pastor at, at a very large church. And uh, so they did small groups, and they did outreach, and they did, you know, and they were doing things effectively. They were doing things well. Things were actually, you know, fruitful for them. And, and yet he talks about how Chi Alpha saved his faith, really. And he wasn't a student. He, he actually came in kind of through the back door. He, he did an internship. Uh, he got involved in Chi Alpha ministry and was, was just kind of a non-traditional uh, Chi Alpha staffer in our world. And so I asked him, like, well, what was your experience? How would you say what we're doing is different? Because he's talking about how it, it changed his whole perspective of faith. And, and he, he said basically the way that he understood small group and the way that he understood how we could get the church into the world completely changed after he got into, into Chi Alpha. The way that we could say, stop coming to us and start going to them. Not that we don't say come to us. That's certainly always a part. We'll get to that. But we're all comfortable with coming to us. We all like that the kingdom of God would come to us. Hi, Omar. I'm doing your video next week. Um, we're, we're all comfortable with the world coming to us. We like that because it's our world. We're comfortable there. We have our friends. We have our rhythms. We have our belief. And we say, world, if you're interested, come to where we are. But the world isn't coming because it's not interested. And Jesus made this great command. He said, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the God of the harvest. And the question sometimes is, do we really believe that? Do we believe that the harvest is plentiful? When we're talking to our atheist friend who just thinks that this is the most ridiculous, outdated concept. When we're talking to the Muslim from a Middle East country that says, this is really something that I do not, you know, I, I fight against this in my culture. You know, like, what, when, we, when we are up against the world, do we say the harvest is plentiful? Do we really think that? But Jesus said it is. But what we need are more workers, more laborers. Because the harvest is not going, we cannot stand at the edge of the field and say, harvest, come in. <laughs> I have this great truck for you to jump, you know, get into, and this combine to, you know, chop you up or, you know, prepare you. And what, like, you know, whatever, I just, it almost sounds silly, you saying it that way, but, but you get the idea. That's how we sometimes treat it. We treat the world that way. Come to us. Come in. Jesus said, no, we got to get up to them. Because what was his example? His example was, we could not go to heaven. And we wouldn't have even wanted to, even if we could, because we did not yet know him. But he had to come to us so that we could come to realize his intrinsic value, beauty, and worth. And through falling in love with his pursuit of our lives, our lives were transformed as a result. That is what you're being asked to do. To pursue this campus, this world, the friends in your life. And through your pursuit, and we'll talk, we'll get into all of that later. Again, I'm just kind of doing kind of a flyby here. But in your pursuit, which includes sacrifice, there's going to be a cost to this. It's going to mean emotionally, you know, let, putting yourself out there. It means, you know, in time and space, taking time to, to pursue after that student and, you know, chase them down and hang out with them in the dorms. Like, I never wanted to step a foot in the dorm again after I got out for my freshman year. You know, it's like I was done with this. Now I'm like intentionally going back, you know. Like you have... You have this need 
to suddenly pursue after this world. And through your pursuit and invitation, you can invite people as you pursue them to invite them into community. There's this incredible prayer of Jesus. People used to ask me, like, what's your favorite scripture verse? I used to say, the Bible, I don't know, right? Like, I just, how do, I, how do you break that down? Right? Here, here's reality, though. The last few years, I would say this is, this is probably my favorite scripture verse. Because in ministry, it's, there's often been this tension of, of small group as, as a system, as a program, as, as, this, as the structure. And, and certainly it has those components, but as, a con, as that being the definition of what small group is, loses its sense of relationship and authenticity and, and purpose. And on the flip side, understanding we need those things. And, and how do we focus on what our heart is, what our vision is, what are the ambition of our hearts, if we will, to say this is a kingdom ambition, a relational ambition, something that's not counter to that, and yet push our people to say, hey, how do we step out and pursue after those things? And in the idea of, like, let's create a weekly meeting, right? So John chapter 17 says this, and Jesus is praying, this is considered the high priestly prayer of, of uh, Jesus, John articulates it here, and he prays for his disciples, and then he starts to pray for those that will come after them, for, for us. And this is what he's praying for us. This is what he wants. This is, and he's right, he's about to go to the cross. Like, this is a manifesto, literally, in prayer form. This is his statement. Everything I have done leading up to this, and everything I'm about to do on the cross, is trying to get this to become the reality of the future for humanity. And so what is that? He says, my prayer is not for them alone, talking about the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Alright, so there's a lot of I, them, he, you know, he, she, that, you know, whatever. Like, it's like, what's going on? Jesus is essentially saying in this passage, the only way that I can articulate what my hope is in the cross is to use the Trinity as a basis to define what we're trying to do. And in the Trinity, we see the basis of all morality. We see the basis of, of goodness and love. We see the contrast of, of wickedness and evil in the world. That's a whole another conversation. It's fun. But, but the, the idea of the Trinity is this idea that, that God is intrinsically a relational being. <coughs> that he is intrinsically a relational being. And because he's intrinsically a relational being, love is, is the expression of that. That is articulation of that. And so he says, my goal is for you to be unified together. You would be one in the same way that we are one. With that same level of authenticity and vulnerability and interdependence and relationship in, in that sort of way. And so the goal is that kind of unity that we would experience the glory of God because through that the world's going to know who we are as we come into that place. So what are we trying to do when we try to draw people into our 
Spawner? Are we trying to draw them into our weekly meeting? Are we trying to draw them into our discipleship program? Are we trying to draw them into our event? Or are we trying to draw them into our lives? Because our lives are the goal that we would be one together in the same way that the Trinity is one with each other. The Father didn't send Jesus, said, here's the program, here's the plan, here's what we're going to do, good luck, execute my plan, it'll be great. Right? He did, at some level. There was a, pro, there was a plan, there was a strategy, there was all these things. But it was not transcended from relationship. The goal was we are about a relational objective here, redeeming humanity so that they could once again draw into the, this, the early uh, church used to call it the divine dance. The divine dance. God is this author of, of relationship because he himself he lives in three persons and one, acting out this divine dance. And he's inviting us as the bride of Christ to enter into that. But we are called to be unified together. And so here's, here's the point. The objective of small group is, the, the center of small group is Christ, but Christ through what? The center of small group is Christ through your life, because you are to be one, as, as, the, whole, as the Trinity is one, and as we reflect oneness, and God himself is one, then he invites us into that relationship with himself also. But there's this together, you know, Jesus said the greatest commandment, love God, and love one another. It's, it's connecting this way and this way. And so when we say, what is the objective that we're trying to do, and how do we think of that objective in a relational, kingdom sort of way, what we are saying is the objective of small group is to draw people closer into your life in a kingdom relationship. Right? Sometimes small group leaders over the years have had the, had made the mistake of like, well, I've got five friends, okay, and I call it my small group, Okay, and I'm hanging out with them, good, and what? Well, uh, you know, osmosis, I think, is going to happen sometime. (laughs) Okay, okay, so you have a friendship, that's good. But when we're talking the objective of small group, we're not talking about friendship. In fact, the friendship is is fine, It's, it's a base level idea, it's a superficial level idea, but the, the difference of a Facebook friend versus my spouse is, is you know, it's almost not even the same thing. You can't even use the same analogies for the same thing, right? And when we're talking about what is small group, we're saying Jesus' call here is to draw us into relationship. But not relationship like, hey, we're buds. Wow. I mean, that, that's a part of it. That'll include that. But it's, it's something so much deeper, you can't even use the same <laughs> language. We, we just don't have the language sometimes even articulated. It's so much deeper. Kingdom relationships, kingdom relationships in the world after. And so, why is that important? Well, one, if if small group is a weekly meeting, then small group is, then the weekly meeting is the objective. And getting them to your weekly meeting is the objective. And so they're in your small group, if they show up to your weekly meeting, and that's good, who cares if they care about what's going on in the, weekly, in the small group, right? Like, I've got, you know, we have any number of stories of guys who fall asleep in, you know, small group meetings because they don't care about Jesus. They just, you know, why are they there? They're because of this community. Right? So there's, there's this idea, well, as long as they're there, and if they're not there, they're, they're not in small group. Which means a couple of things. If, 
small group is a weekly meeting, you can disconnect your life from that meeting. You can disconnect your life from it. These are my small group guys. They show up to this space in this time, and we have this conversation, and then we all leave for our lives. If small group is a weekly meeting, I can disconnect my life from the small group, and, I, and everyone else will probably do the same. I've had, in fact, I, I know this to be true because my first experiences in Chi Alpha, we didn't have this understanding of some of these convictions, at least in my group, and that is exactly what I had. And I had a group on, you know, on the surface. I had, you know, I had maybe six, eight guys that were faithfully coming. Right? Looks good. Right? We're talking about the Bible. You know, guys are even coming from other ministries because we were talking about the Bible, and they just thought, man, this is so cool, so good. Like, you know, what the information, which is a part of it, right? But the information was so good. But I had basically, you know, a small group where we talked about the Bible and then moved on with our lives. But I would never have said any of those guys in and through that small group community were my brothers. I would have never have looked at John's prayer in John 17 and saying, have I accomplished Jesus' command? Have I accomplished his prayer, his desire for the world? No. I've given them good information. And hopefully they're finding that unity somewhere else. But... If small group is a weekly meeting, that is ultimately the ambition. It's about getting people to a space and a time so you can impart information for the sake of hopefully them connecting maybe this way, but if they don't connect this way. Jesus said, if you connect this way, this is how that's going to happen. It's there's first in this, in the community, that they will know what I have done. And so, when we're inviting people into this small group, when we say small group, and that's why pursuit is going to be so key, right? That's why Derek Britt, my friend, says that's what transformed his understanding, is that it wasn't just come into our event on Sunday mornings and you can choose to either you know, have the revolving door in the back and just walk out and never come back. But small group, you know, in his perspective, it was basically that was the point. It's trying to keep people from walking away by giving them something else to, to do. But he said all of a sudden he suddenly realized that revolving door was happening because it was the church that was revolving out and getting out to them. And it was reaching out to them and ministering and sacrificing and bringing the gospel. And yes, bringing them into that community, but through that pursuit. If your life, if your life is small group, so here's the thing. We will say this, we'll say this relatively often. You know, small group is not a weekly meeting. Small group has a weekly meeting. A weekly meeting is a good thing. Why is it a good thing? I just said how it's not a good thing. No, it's a good thing in its right context. Small group is a good thing the same way that date night for me and my wife is a good thing. I would not say I am married to Lindsay because I go on a date with her once a week. That would put a lot of you into an awkward phase of your relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a date last night. <laughs> just because, <laughs> just because, just because we have a date night doesn't mean that we have a marriage. But a marriage is strengthened by having that focused, intentional time. Now, with that being the agenda, that also changes what that time looks like. If I get together with Lindsay to inform her on how. You know, let's talk through information of how she could be a better spouse and I could be a better spouse for her. 
you know, there's a place for that. But if that was just the idea, we've missed it. Let me tell you about how you'd be a better spouse student. Let me tell you how you'd be a better girl. Let me tell you how you could be a better person, a Christian for Jesus. Let me tell you what he's done for you so you have that information that's good. But we've missed the point. If we haven't realized, the point is, is to draw together to one another. And so small group is about binding each other, binding our lives together with one another. And through that intentionality, we pursue after Jesus together. We say it this way, small group is not a weekly meeting, it has a weekly meeting. So what is small group? Small group is a community of people around your life that you guys together are pursuing after Jesus. It is a community of people around your life that you are intentionally taking responsibility to fight for their spiritual well-being. Small group is a community of people around your life who are pursuing after Jesus with you. They may not even want Jesus yet, but you are taking responsibility to help them as you guys are journeying towards Jesus. And maybe that just means like they're just kind of curious. Maybe they're just kind of dabbling with the idea of who Jesus is. Maybe, you know, that might even mean your small group isn't at your weekly meeting. Maybe they're, you know, things happen and there's a phase of life, or just because they miss one week, oh, am I still in the meet? Am I still in small group? Yes, because you're in my life. It means I can't disconnect my life from small group. It means that my life is the thing that small group orbits around as my life is orbiting around Jesus. And so that's why, of course, you know, our Devo lives are so critical. Are our lives revolving around Jesus? It also means that all of life becomes, uh, at some level, small group. You're going to have, you're going to have Levels of relationship. I don't know if everybody can see this. This is a little bit out. It's a simple concept, so you don't really want to see my horrible handwriting. But um, this this is all. This is your world. This is your world. This is. I won't even try to write it out because you just all laugh at me. But this is your teachers. <laughs> Your classmates, your coworkers, your doormates, your neighbors. This is your world. This is everyone that is in some way tethered to your life in some way. Now, you also have, if you become a small group leader or just learning to be a minister of the gospel, there's going to be these people that is your, rela- your relationships. These are people that in your world, maybe you have a neighbor, they're in your world, so you have a neighbor, and actually you start, you actually have a conversation for the first time, right? You mm-hmm. kind of build a rapport, right? That coworker that you kind of, you know, kind of ignore, now you start a conversation with, they're in your class, now you actually sat down to them, with them, had a conversation, you know, about how the test went yesterday, and, and licked your wounds together a little bit, right? You're, these are the relationships in your life. These are the ones that you're starting to have, you're starting to be a minister of the gospel to. And these ones, all of a sudden, you have that conversation with the classmates and realize that they just got back from that this weekend where their father passed away. Or they just broke up with that girlfriend's and they're just kind of you know, going through a tough time where they just honestly don't know if they're going to make it to class because they keep failing that. 
test that they've had yesterday, right? You're going through that, and you're suddenly finding that you have the ability to start ministering to them. You start to talk about the hope that we have in Christ. You start talking about identity. You offer if you can pray for them, and you grieve with them, and you wrestle through life with them. And maybe it's just a one-time conversation. You just kind of prayed for them, and you moved on with your life. It's no thing that you would say, this is my life, this is within my small group. But it's just you being a minister of the gospel. And then you got this kind of inner circle here. All of a sudden, that person suddenly is like really responding well. We'll get to all, all that kind of stuff. They actually respond to like, you. Can I pray for you? And they're like, yeah, okay. Like, you have, you have that conversation. You kind of start talking about Jesus a little bit more, and, and they seem to be like engaging, responding. And you're like, hey, you know, I, I got some friends. Do you like to come over? You know, a bunch of my people from my ministry are part of. I'd love to just you know, invite you over and talk about Jesus sometime. <laughs> out, grill out tomorrow night over at so-and-so's place. You'd like to come? I'd say, yeah, sure. Okay. So, all of a sudden, these are the people, or maybe you start to kind of pursue them a little more intentionally. Like, hey, you want to grab lunch? Let's just talk about the thing going on with whatever. So, 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 these guys, you're starting to um, do faith with. And in the center here, they're just kind of dabbling. You're just kind of inviting. You're just kind of pursuing. And you're just kind of seeing what happens. And all of a sudden, you get these guys, and they respond to your pursuit. And they respond to your invitation. And so this, and so you start to bind your life together. You start to do life together. You start to do faith together. And this is your small group. These are the people that are leaning on you, and you're leaning on them, and together you are pursuing after Jesus. So, in the center here is your small group, but here's the reality. If you build your small group, small group leaders who, do, who have the most effectiveness at doing this are always looking for opportunities to push people a little bit closer into that circle. And sometimes it's just, hey, being intentional. Jesus preaching to the multitudes. Hey, anybody that want, you know, I'm looking at Israel. My world is Israel. Who can I minister to? He walks by somebody, and he suddenly starts, hey, Zacchaeus, we're hanging out today. I'm going to your house. We're having lunch. Oh, me? Okay, sure. Yeah, let's, let's do that. He starts talking, and Zacchaeus' life starts to be transformed through, through that, and suddenly he starts following Jesus. Suddenly... He's some of these guys Jesus ministers to, he's like, hey, you want to actually become like a disciple? Disciple? Really? Yeah. Okay. So what happens? Who's who's this at the center? Jesus. What about him? His program? His Bible study? His uh, 12 steps to becoming a disciple of Jesus? No. His life. And again, you're just one step in that progress. You are not the ultimate end. I'm not saying your life is the end, but it's the idea that you are the hands and feet of Jesus. And you have Jesus, and so if they can draw close to you, they can draw close to Jesus. But not you alone. That's why we need a community too, right? We need each other. Because you're not a very perfect expression of Jesus, I'm sorry to say. You may have thought you were that good, you were that holy. Let me tell you, we need each other. Because it's the interplay of the community that expresses most the interplay of our God. But if we can be people 
know, if it's a weekly meeting, you can go through Welcome Week, get a bunch of numbers, invite them to the thing, find the ones who want to show up, lead the Bible study, and it's good. And you've accomplished small group. If small group is your life, you can use that, you can do that, that could be part of it to reach out, to be intentional. But your whole life suddenly becomes this means of becoming a minister of the gospel. And you start out here to the multitudes, and you find that you have the 70, these guys that want to hang out with you a little bit more, and then you have the 12, and you have the 3, and you keep pushing, and you spend more and more time with the ones closer and closer into that circle. And the closer you get to that inner circle, the more you suddenly realize, these are the people that I'm investing into, I'm doing life with, I'm ministering to. And, and what does that look like? Well... We'll get into a lot of that too, but small group around your life is about pursuing after Jesus together. So when you get together, it's not just let me give you information, that's good, that's a part of it. It's not not that. But it's saying, how do I help you? How do you help me? How do we bind our lives together as our lives are being bound to a God who is binding his to us? How do I help you? And sometimes that's processing, dude, what do you do for your Devo life? What does that look like to you? And yet you talk through that. And it's like, hey, you want to just go prayer walk with me on campus tomorrow? I'll just, I'll just feel like I want to go pray. You want to come with? Right? Like, dude, I'm, I've never had a prayer life. Let's just get together. Tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., I'm, I'm at your house. So you guys are like, really? Yeah. It happens. But, you know, that's a sacrifice. But small group is your life. And your life is assumed to be about Jesus. Based on that assumption, the closer they get to you, in your community, the closer they are coming to the one who your life is about. Does that make sense? Is that cool? Okay. Um, awesome. So I want to talk just about a few core attributes of, of small group. And we'll talk about more of these, but just kind of give you like a broad spectrum, like what are some attributes of, of that. Um, I told you, you know, it's a community of people leaning on each other in the pursuit of Christ. And, um, and some, of those, some of those attributes are going to be things like a sense of life togetherness. Um, that, that the goal is kingdom relationship. Defined by John 17, kingdom relationship, at reflecting the Trinity. That is, that, is, that is your North Star. And what are some attributes of the Trinity? Well, that's a fun conversation, right? Like, let's try to get our, you know, there's, there's a, I think it's a Chesterton who says we have to be careful. We think that the poet is sort of disconnected from reality and the philosopher is the one who really understands reality. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's the other way around. It's the wow. philosopher who's trying to get heaven into his mind, and his mind splits at the immensity of it. Wow. But it's the poet who tries to get his mind into heaven and stands in awe and wonder of its beauty. Mm. When we come to the presence of God, we come very humbly to that. And yet, what I do understand is that one is, of course, relationship. It's this deep relationship. One is the sense of life togetherness, right? There is clearly this sense of togetherness that's being expressed. There's that that Jesus and the Father are one, and the Holy Spirit is there with him. 
that 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 togetherness includes a sense of vulnerability. Jesus telling the Father, I don't want to do this. I know I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to want to maybe do this. I just don't want to go to the cross. Right? There's this vulnerability. There's this authenticity. There is this, this sense of interconnectedness. There is a sense of shared mission um, yeah. and shared purpose. There is, there is this sense that without the other, I am less. Right? There, at the cross, what happens? The Father turns his back. The greatest, the worst sacrifice of Christ was the losing of, of intimacy. There's this deep sense of intimacy in, in that relationship. And so, people are going to be transformed by the love of Christ in your life as you learn to be a minister of the gospel and through your life to keep drawing people closer into that circle. You will always have people to minister to at the center of that as you keep drawing people further into that circle. And that circle is seeking to fight for a deeper sense of that kind of unity in its community. And so a weekly meeting, it has a weekly meeting, and it should. Don't hear the weekly meeting doesn't matter. Because in our busyness of life, if you don't schedule, you know, Tuesday night, 7 p.m., your house, in your living room, let's hang out. It's easy to not be able to do life together at all. But that intentional time kind of tethers the rest of your life. It helps each other in life. So, dude, what are you doing this weekend? Let's hang out. What are you doing with your Devo life? Let's talk. What are you doing in your thought life? Let's be in awe and wonder of a God that we're getting our minds into heaven and be in awe of it. Cool? All right. I think we're going to take a short break, and then we will do uh, another video uh, of one of our former small group leaders, and then we will have Ileana talking for uh, the next class, and we'll come there. Cool? So take five minutes. 7.45, I'm starting our, our next video.
Could you put it in there? And um, I'll start here. 7:45, 7:50. You're you're good to go. We're we're being. I'm trying to be real strict this year. Like 30 minutes and we're done. So just gotta keep loosely an eye on the clock. I'll do 10 minutes of breakdown from there, and then everybody will break out. How was Greeley? Oh, it was good. It was fun. I, I got to see a lot of people that I, I haven't seen for a long time. That's good. So, double header. Then I hung out with a bunch of old friends for like four hours or five hours. And then, yeah, it's fun. But for me, that's fun and exhausting. Preaching is not fun. I'm happy to do it, but. Okay, let me see. I heard Brent said that the. Getaway was fun. Yeah, it was so Guys who are talking to me about World War Three and like Revelation. <laughs> and like, I have no idea. Oh no, they're out there somewhere. All right, <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, I'll I'll clarify some details from here, but take a seat. Yeah. Anywhere? Yeah. Anywhere right now. All right, everybody. We're gonna get started again. All right, here we go, section two. Hey, so second hour, or the second part of our class, we are going to start doing, we are going to have some of our current or former small group leaders. Gnashing of teeth, weeping. Okay, but we're going to have some of our current or former small group leaders here um, sharing with you. And Michaela is is yeah. one of our former small group leaders uh, here. In fact, your exercise this week, some of you may be calling her this week to talk to her and thank her for what she's done on the campus. But she was an engineering student on the campus. Her, I think, their engineering uh, 
uh, program their senior year placed first for CSU. So high academic level, but was also a girl that had deep impacts uh, in small group leading while here. And so I think models very well, like you can do this if you will, but understanding that if you feel like you're busy or you have high ambitions in academia, that does not exclude you or preclude you from being able to do small group leading. So we're going to have her share, and then Ileana is going to go straight from there into transgenerational discipleship. So here we go. Hey everyone, my name is Michaela, and I sat in your shoes about seven years ago, and I can imagine that as you're beginning LTC, one of the many overwhelming questions that you your head right now is just how can I do it all? You know, with school and leadership and small group and your hobbies and family and friends and boyfriends and girlfriends and alone time and just everything, you're wondering, how can I do it all? And the, the reality of that question, to the answer of that question, is that you can't do it all. That you can't do all things and do them all well. But I'm here to tell you that there's some hope in that. Um, one of the most important truths that you need to realize is that you will always have time for the things that you prioritize and that you value. So I, so I would just ask you to take a quick look at your life and the things that you tackle first every day. And are these things only benefiting you or are they serving and benefiting others as well? Second, I want to stress that doing things well and with excellence is important. Because who cares if you accomplish every goal, every task in your life, if all of the products are half-finished and falling apart and empty. Thirdly, if you have a list of things that you say that you value and that you want to prioritize, and you want to do those things well, you must maximize your time in order to do so. Practically, when I was in college, I did this by creating a time budget. I made... Basically, I just made nine items for the categories in my life um, and assigned them a level of importance. Um, the categories included small group, school, boyfriend, outpost, friends, eating and sleeping. Um, and I looked at all those categories and I divvied out my weekly hours into those. Um, in order to maximize my time, I discipled a girl who was in my classes that I naturally spent time with studying and just in class together. And, um, and anything that I could do with people, I did with people. Um, and also, I just I didn't spend all my free time with my boyfriend or my best friend. And instead, I scheduled time for them because they were on my priority list. Um, and it, if you need alone time, take your alone time. Um, if you need that to function, you need to take your own time. But I would ask that you wouldn't waste it away by, you know, watching Netflix and playing video games. And, uh, just a big thing is to think about, as you're going through this class, like, think about what you want to leave college with, like, with your memories and just your legacy and what you've done while in college. And if you just think about, like, what impact you want to make while you're in college, and if you really, really don't think you have time for discipleship and to be a leader, then I challenge you to get rid of every time we serve in your life and then still prove that you're still too busy to do it all. Um, I want to encourage you with Galatians 6, 8, and 9. 
But for the one who sows to his own flesh will, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So just be encouraged. Serving your brothers and sisters and classmates and leaders won't be the easiest thing you do during college, but I can promise that you will not regret doing good. So yeah, just enjoy your enjoy this season of learning and getting to learn from so many great leaders and, um, and teachers that you have at your disposal. And yeah, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, and just always, always be asking questions and asking for help. So yeah, bye guys. Ooh. All right. Hi guys. Hi. Hello. I just had canes and I feel really out of breath. <laughs> 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 That's how I'm <laughs> So I'm going to talk about um, spiritual lineages, and we used to call it transgenerational discipleship, but I thought a better way to. So yeah, so I'm just going to talk about why, um, yeah, why is it important? Why is it important that we care about spiritual lineages? And um, the, the hope I have for my talk is just that you guys care and value the boss, that you value the people that you will be pouring into. You know, we... How many people have lost something that's been, like, really important to you? And you like, I mean, I lose my keys all the time. And I'm just, like, flipping, you know, through, like, every couch, every nook of my house trying to, like, search for my lost things. And um, and how serious is the lost people on this campus? And we treat people sometimes with such flippancy. And... Um, I, the most precious thing to the Lord is people, and so we need to treat people with the same seriousness that God feels on people. Um, so Morgan teaches Everly a swimming lesson, and um, can you imagine if like I was picking up Everly from the pool and Morgan came out and I was like, where's Everly? Like, oh, she's still in the pool, but I, I have to go. Can you imagine, like, I'd be like, Morgan, my daughter, you know, my precious daughter, you know, you left her in the pool and she can't swim yet, you know? But, uh, can you imagine what that would be like, how I would feel? I would feel so upset if she would do that. And we'd do that with people. We'd be like, hey, you should, like, come, you know, into this Christian community. Wow. But then we'd be like, all right, see you there, bye. And then we walk away and we don't do anything about it. And so we need to fight for people. And um, I, that's what LTC is about, is learning how to find, fight, and feed for the lands of God. And so I'm going to be talking about how I was fought for and how we can fight for people. Um, yeah. Oh. Oh, that's an old one. Um, it's in the, oh, I think I put it in 2019. I'm so sorry. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. Okay. I got it. I'm going to read something really quick. So this is from um, Eli Gotro. He is our campus, he was my campus pastor back at St. Houston State University. He's like a legend, super awesome. He created the DNA of our Chi Alpha, basically. And so we can all come from 
Anyways, so he said, several years ago, my family and I attended a conference on a university campus. One afternoon, our four-year-old went missing from the student center where I had been working. As it became apparent that my little girl was lost, my heart sank, and with each passing moment, I began to feel more and more nauseous. Words cannot describe the depth of anguish and despair I felt that day. With the help of university police, we frantically searched all four floors of that building, eventually spilling out into the parking lot and covering the four city blocks of the campus. She was completely lost. In Luke 15, we read Jesus' three parables about lost things, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. Contextually, however, the emphasis lay not on the things lost, but rather on those to whom the lost things belong. The shepherd, the woman, the father. The third parable is frequently called the parable of the prodigal son, but as G. Kimmel Morgan suggested, perhaps a better name would be the parable of the father's heart. For in this story, we see the broken heart of God revealed. This father was actively watching, waiting, and yearning to be reunited with his lost child. That is exactly the way God feels about every one of his children who are lost and separated from him. Um, Morgan wrote in The Great Physician, It is well now to remind ourselves that when we speak of a lost man or woman, the final emphasis is not in our thinking should not be on the lost person, but on the one who has lost that person. When we speak of a man being lost, do we think about his suffering or the suffering of God? When the devil has kidnapped a child of God, it is God who hurts the deepest, who suffers most. His heart is broken, as he can foresee the inevitable consequence of a lost relationship, eternal separation. When I remember the way I felt about my one lost child, I cannot begin to imagine the father's exponential pain over the multitude of his lost children from every corner of the earth. When my daughter was lost, I wanted everyone everywhere to drop what they were doing and help me find her. It was inconceivable to me that anyone, especially those I loved most, would be able to rest until she was safely found. Um, after the longest hour of my life, in which every passing minute felt like an eternity, we found our daughter. The moment I saw her, I had an instant understanding of the joy in heaven that erupts when a lost person is reunited with the father. I cried out with happiness and could not stop hugging her. The intensity of the darkness that had accompanied her loss was matched only by the elation I felt when I held her in my arms. So yeah, that's how we should feel about people that we pursue, people that we love. We should fight for them. They're worth it. They're so valuable, valuable to God. And when we get to share Jesus with them and offer them God himself, I mean, how elated is God? You know, so what a privilege that we get to do that. Um, so just a briefly a little bit about my story. I did not grow up in church was totally lost, as lost as you can get, um, all throughout my life, basically, until I was 19. Um, I didn't know one Christian until I was 19. My dad came to know the Lord when I was 15, so he was the only one, but I thought he was so weird. And I didn't, um, I didn't know any other Christians. And I'm sure there were Christians around me, but I had no idea. So the first person who shared their faith with me, I was 19 years old. And it was a girl in my um, same major, her name was Adri. And she loved Jesus and grew up Christian. And she, I remember she asked what I did that weekend, and I told her what I did that weekend, and it was not good things. And I remember she just started crying. I was like, why are you crying? <laughs> and she's like, do you know what God thinks about, like, about who you are and, like, about, you know, um, you know, you're a child of God, and therefore, like, you have dignity and you have these things. And she shared with me all this stuff in tears, opening her Bible, and, it was, like, a crazy experience. I was just like, this, I've never experienced this before. 
And, uh, but I just felt deep care and love from her. However, um, Adri, as, mu- as much as I loved her and she was so important in my life, um, she did not have a Christian community or Christian, um, like she didn't, she wasn't involved in ministry or anything. And so with our major, our, the people around us are just like crazy and partiers and everything. And so she got sucked into that. And so I was like, oh, I guess you can like love God and like get drunk every day and like, like, okay, so I could do that, you know? And, and so, um, that was my concept of Christianity up until the next year when I got invited by this guy who got invited by a guy in his class to go to Chi Alpha. And I thought Chi Alpha was going to be a party or something. So I was like, sure, I'll go. And then I remember driving up to church and I was like, why, why are we at a church? And I walked in the door and I saw about a thousand students worshiping Jesus. Wow. And I was like, this is strange. I've never seen this before. And um, I remember seeing people in my class there, like in all my classes, and they were crying, worshiping. So many people were kneeling. People were praying over other people. And I had never in my life seen anything like that before. And then that night I met Amanda, who I will talk about her all day. But um, she was my small group leader. And she loved Jesus and knew how to share about Jesus like Adri did. But she lived a life like just full of Jesus, like full of the Lord, and she knew how to fight for me, and guys, I was like super sketchy, like I know you guys see me now, but I used to be so, like I would be one of those girls that I would tell my small group leaders, like maybe you should just like give up and move on, you know, but um, but Amanda saw hope in me when there was little, little hope of um, hoping I could change, you know, and so, um, yeah, so he, uh, so Amanda just really fought for me and gave me so much hope and, and just poured so much into me and just wisdom. And, I mean, was so faithful. She was just so faithful by my side. And, guys, I would not be here. Like, I would not, man, I would not be here. I would not be in this community. I would not be married to Brent. And I would not, like, know Nate and all of you, you know, if it wasn't for Amanda fighting for me. I'm just wow. so grateful. And I will always eternally be grateful. So how cool is it that we get to do that? We get to oh, fight. Yeah, yeah. We get to, cool. to see hope when no one else sees hope in people. Wow. Yeah. And so yeah. that is why we believe so much in generational discipleship. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. We say that all the time. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. What God has done in your life with your small group, with your small group leader. You know, your small group leader has been fighting for you has poured into you, has poured out so much time when she could be doing other things. She could be hanging out with, or he could be hanging out with other people. And instead, they are spending time with you because they believe in you and they have hope in you and you're worth fighting for. And I'm so grateful that they did that because now you're sitting here wanting to do that for someone else. So, um, yeah, so grateful. Um, yes. Um, so this whole thing is about what Jesus' method is. So he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So we need to decipher the message versus the method of Jesus. So can you imagine being Jesus? Yes. Can you imagine being Jesus? Like how overwhelmed would you be being Jesus? Like being like, I'm the son of God here to like restore mankind. And I only have three years to do it. You know, how crazy. And I like think about what I would have done. I would have been like, well, 
I need to talk to as many people as possible. So I'm just going to have all these huge meetings and just like tell everyone, hey, I'm the son of God. Like believe in me and have eternal life, you know. But, and he did some of that. Like he did talk to the masses. But what did he spend most of his time in? He spent most of his time praying to God and being with his disciples. And that was the method that Jesus did. And that's why we believe in small groups wholeheartedly is because that was Jesus's method. And if you look at the Gospels and study the Gospels, which I encourage you to do, um, he, towards the end of his life, he spends most of his time withdrawing from the crowds, getting away from the crowds to go be with his disciples. And he did that more and more as the end drew near. He didn't frantically be like, oh, I need to go to more places and talk to more people. Instead, he withdrew more and more to be with his disciples because he knew that if this small group of men understood who I was and what I did and and what I can offer to every person on earth, they can reach the masses. They can reach beyond what I can as an individual. I mean, even Jesus, I mean, he knew that. So we should know that, you know? So, um... So, yeah, so we need to be like Jesus. We need to invest in the few rather than the masses. And so um, one thing we talk about a lot in LTC, and I don't know if we'll talk about this again, but we do this thing called, okay, great, Super Evangelist versus the Faithful Discipler. So if you look at the Super Evangelist, just think of like a Billy Graham type, you know, you talk to mass amount of people. I mean, just look, you're one, 365,000. And you're talking to that 365,000, telling them about Jesus, and then, you know, getting them pumped up about Jesus. And the faithful discipler only has five, which is like a typical small group size. So imagine a small group leader investing in five people. So you look at, you know, every year, like, look at that. They're doubling the super evangelists consistently. And the faithful discipler is like, okay, if five people can get it, then they can go and disciple and then they can carry what I've done, what God does in you, he wants to do through you. They can do that. And so as this increases, you know, for a while you're like, wow, 3,125, 1,000, or 1,825,000, they don't have a chance. But then if you look towards, um, yes, so towards year nine, I mean, look from year eight to year nine. Isn't that crazy? Can you imagine if that many people understood how to disciple, how exponential that would be? And then by year 10, look at that. Crazy. <laughs> so um, so that's, that's how, this is how we can reach the world. You know, it's not by preaching to the masses. It's by, man, if each of you guys can invest in five people before you graduate and get them to know Jesus and to have a heart for discipleship and to be in this room wanting to disciple other people. I mean, we can reach this campus tangibly. And we can reach the city, the state, I mean, the world, you know, by being a faithful discipler, which is what you guys are doing. And so you guys need to be all about this. <laughs> all about it. Amen. 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 <laughs> this, is, this is the bread and butter of Outpost. Um, yes, yeah, I said that. Okay. So um, 2 Timothy 2.2. I don't know if this will be on your test or not. It hasn't been last year, but it should be on the test. Um, and the things you've you heard me. From your classes, okay. So oh you yeah, I could. You're right. Okay. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So what's crazy about this one verse that Paul is saying to Timothy? There's four generations represented. Paul is saying, and the things you, Timothy, have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses 
and trust to reliable people and third generation who will also be qualified to teach others. So just in this one verse, Paul is asking Timothy to think about the generations that are to come. Um, yes. So you're here because somebody, spiritually speaking, has poured into you and has brought you here. You notice that we don't market LTC. We don't say, like, LTC signups right here. You know, we don't, we don't do that because people have loved you and cared about you and have come to us and say, they're ready to do this, you know? And so you're here because someone wants you to be here. <laughs> and, um, and what's crazy is that they have a lineage. You know, they've come from someone who has fought for them. And so it'll be really sweet, this, um, you know, this practical you guys will have next week. You'll be able to look back at your lineage and um, see where you come from. Um, but that only comes from fighting for people. Um, and guys, some people, yeah, are hard to fight for. You know, there are people who, I mean, yeah, there are people, okay, so I'll talk about, I'm going to talk about Melanie. So, Jessie, yeah. love Jessie, we all love Jessie. Yeah. She um, met a girl named Melanie last year. And we met Melanie at door move-ins, which we will all do, door move-ins, love door move-ins. And um, we moved her in, and Jessie decided to, like, start unpacking her stuff, which is really funny. And Jessie was like, here, let me help you unpack. And so she just started opening stuff and putting things away. And Mel was like, okay, thanks. And, um, and Jessie ended up spending, like, two hours with Melanie when she moved her in. And for me, I was like, Jessie, you got to get moving. Like, you need, like, to meet more people. But Jessie was like, I need to just hang out with Melanie and talk to her. And I'm so grateful she did because Melanie started coming to small group and, and um, being in our lives, but Melanie was really stressed out with school. Her freshman year, she was just like overwhelmed with school, and you guys will meet those freshman people that are just stressed out at, at school. And so she just had a heavy load, and she would ghost Jessie for like months at a time. So there would be one month where she wouldn't hear from Melanie, and then she'd hear from her for a week, and then, you know, and, and it would just be like a back and forth thing. But then, I remember so many times Jessie would be like, let's pray. Like, let's pray for Melanie. And I don't want to give up on her. And sometimes I'm like, Jessie, do you think you should move on? And she's like, no, I know Melanie is like, we're meant to fight for her. And we would pray for Melanie. And I remember being at a water polo game, just like praying there. <laughs> like, that, we, that Melanie would, would text Jessie. And sure enough, the next day, like, Melanie, like, came and talked to Jessie and apologized. And ever since then, like, Melanie was so legit. And she went through LTC. And just, like, totally got it. And now she's, like, totally different and just an amazing woman of God. And Kristen's here because of Melanie. And so um, how amazing that, yeah, people have fought for other people, but fought for other people so that you can be here. And so I hope that you guys just become extremely grateful for where you come from. So what is produced through transgenerational discipleship? Um, First thing is... You bear fruit unknown. So if you think about the faithful discipler, you know, they, yeah, it all started with five people. And can you imagine 10 years later, them realizing that, like, three million people know the Lord because he invested in the five, wow. you know? But he, he probably won't know that. And you guys probably won't know after you graduate college what's to come from your lineage after this, you know? But what is amazing is that if you guys are faithful to raising up other people, 
then they will be faithful to raising up other people. And if that keeps continuing, you're going to have fruit beyond what you can ever see. And you probably won't figure it out until you get into heaven. And Jesus is like, thank you for all of these people. Like, because of your faithfulness at CSU, all these people are here in eternity with us, you know? And it's like, so, can you imagine? That'd be so cool. I could, I just, like, always have that scenario in my mind of, like, getting to the gates of heaven and, yeah. And I think, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I just imagine that all the time. And then the second point is to make leaders who go further than us. So we want to give our people everything we have. We want them to be way better than us. And what's great is, like, we, I mean, as small group leaders, you guys are going to learn so much. And you guys are probably going to fail at some point in some way. Like, hopefully not, but maybe not. I don't know. But you guys will experience some kind of failure, you know? Just, like, it, it, that, and that can mean, like, you know, someone that you think will work out ends up ghosting you forever, you know? Or, um, you know, you pour a ton into a person and then they just don't want to be a part of your community, you know? Like, that can happen. But, um, but what's amazing is that we get to invest in the few that do want it and the hungry people that do want it. And we get to invest everything we have, all the wisdom, all of the times where we've succeeded, all the times where we've failed. We get to pour all of that into them. And what's great, guys, is you guys are still in small group and you still have your small group leaders. And I would just encourage you to soak up all this time you have with them, all the wisdom, because they're so wise and they've been through a lot and they've seen good times and bad times. And so you guys can learn so much from your small group leaders now. Yeah. Um, and then um, another thing is... Um, you guys will, what's also cool is that other things get passed down other than, like, people. Like, um, you guys will also pass convictions down. You guys will disciple convictions into people. For example, Amanda never told me to do ministry or missions or anything, but she loved missions, and she loved ministry, and she just loved ministering. And it was her love for that and her conviction for missions that made me love missions and appreciate missions and want to do missions. And, um, and so think about the convictions that you have and think about where you got those from. And hopefully some of your small group leaders have passed down those convictions. And even ask your small group leaders, like, what are your convictions? What is your, like, you're like, I will do this no matter what, you know, and, and ask them that. And see if that's something that is also in you that you value and that you want to pass down. And what's interesting is that we pass down the good and the bad, you know. <laughs> and so, like, it's good to, like, recognize, like, okay, what is, like, if someone, like, was in my life all the time, like, what would they see? Would they see me in my spare time spending time with the Lord? Or would they see me binging Netflix all night long and then missing my 8 a.m. class? You know, I don't know. And so um, just remember that, like, your life is going to be a spectacle for these young men and women to see. And so, um, yeah, so think about what convictions you're creating and what habits that they will pick up on. I mean, even Amanda, like, I make a meal still that Amanda made me when I was in small group. And so, like, even food disciples. <laughs> and then, yeah, I kind of said this earlier, but you will leave an inheritance on earth. Um, inheritance is a trait or legacy you are leaving to another generation. So what legacy are you going to leave here at CSU? 
you know, you, you guys have a chance to leave a legacy, a, an eternal legacy, not just one that's just going to be forgotten. You know, it's going to be etern eternally impactful. So just think about, like, what kind of legacy do I want to leave here as a Christian who, like, loves Jesus and wants to see people know the Lord? And seriously think about that and write that down in your journal. Think about it. <clears throat> yes. And then um, one thing, it's like my favorite quote, the evidence of a transformed heart is gratitude. Um, man, I'm just so grateful for my small group leader. I don't know if you guys can tell, but I am. And um, you guys should be so grateful for your small group leaders. And I just encourage you guys, if you guys haven't expressed that, please do that, like, tonight or tomorrow, and um, just because they've sacrificed a lot. They could be spending their time, they could be hanging out with whoever, and they've taken the time to pour into you, and so um, I just encourage you guys to just be extremely grateful for your small group leaders, um, and I think the best part of being a small group leader is you get to see the transformed hearts, and you get to see the gratitude that they express to you. It's like the best feeling ever. You just feel like, wow, like, they get it, you know, they, they get it. They, they're they so grateful to the Lord and to you and to all you've done. And so grat gratitude is just such a huge sign that their heart really has been transformed. Um, yes, so your um, challenge or challenge practical for um, this week is to go back. I think on the, your paper it says three generations not four, so we can do three, or four, or five. You can do however many you want. Uh, all the way back. Uh, all the way back. <laughs> um, but at least, <laughs> to go back to Jesus. Good luck. Um, so you're going to go back at least three generations. Um, so you have to express gratitude to your small group leader, and then you go. You ask them, who is your small group leader? And then you get their number, and you call them, email them, or whatever, and be like, hey, I'm so grateful that you built a small group here at CSU because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And thank them. And then ask them for some advice. Like, can you give me a piece of advice for small group leading because I'm about to be a small group leader. And so, um, yes, talk to your small group leaders. Trace it back at least three generations. And, um, yeah. Okay, this is a cool, I did this. It was really hard to fit everything. But this is just an example of just one girl who was a small group leader, Annalisa, years ago, who discipled, she was discipled by Abby, but I had to cut her out. <laughs> Sorry, Abby. Anyways, but um, she had a small group with Christy and McKinley and Megan, and they all built small groups who had Jesse, Natalie, Hannah, and Ashley Thompson, and they discipled people that you guys know who are who have discipled people that are in this room. And so how amazing is that? Like just from one person building a small group, there's all this fruit. Isn't that incredible? So this this can be y'all's family treat. If you guys would just be faithful to small group leaders. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So I'm going to pray. All right. Um... Father, I just thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, you care most about people. You care the most about every single student on this campus, Lord. And you just long, like a good father, to see them return to you, God. To see them run into your arms and to just be at home, God. 
And so, Father, would you use us, God, as a ministry? Would you use us as a, a leadership, God, to just be a light, God, to be a city on a hill, to be a place where we can return the lost sheep back to you, God? And, Lord, may um, in just learning how to small group lead and just learning how to um, learn how to disciple, may um, you just teach us your heart, God. May we... Lord, just be in your image and just have your heart image, God. May we have a heart like yours, a father heart that just cares about people, Lord. May we, as just people, value people over anything else, Lord, over over any uh, physical or material thing that we could have, Lord. May we value people overall, Lord. And, um, Father, I just pray for every heart in this room, God, that they would um, just spend time with you, God that they would learn more about you and who you are, God, and that they would mimic how you do ministry, how Jesus did it. May they be like Jesus, God, in their small group leading. And um, Father, I just thank you, Lord, and I'm so grateful for our small group leaders who have fought for each person in this room, Lord. Bless them, Lord. And um, Lord, we're just grateful for how good you are, God, and that we do have the a privilege, God, to fight for people, Lord, as small group leaders. In Jesus' name.